From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on November 29th, 2023, from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. And right at the top, we want to apologize for the delayed nature of this podcast. It is a little bit longer, as you can tell, and that's why it took a little bit longer to produce. And some scheduling issues, we are still full from Thanksgiving. But this is our seventh podcast episode, which looks at all things related to the upcoming 2024 Republican presidential primary. Our previous episodes have looked at the people and places that make up the Republican Party here, why the state is so important in the process, and how to campaign in the Palmetto State, as well as the unsavory part of campaigning, the dirty tricks, and why we love to hate polls. You can find all of those episodes on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And of course, though there's no wind down in this episode, we love hearing from our listeners. And you can leave us a voicemail at 803-563-7169. Tell us your thoughts about the 2024 race. What are you getting to lead for Christmas? All that good stuff and more. 803-563-7169. Thanks. Okay, so as part of our 2024 Republican presidential primary deep dive series, we've explored why South Carolina is important, who and where makes the difference for the candidates, and we've also looked at how campaigns work, polling, and of course our history of dirty tricks. Now we're in the lecture series portion of the podcast. Over the course of this episode and the subsequent two, we'll look at who won and how they did it during the 2008, 2012, and 2016 campaigns. Oh, how you doing? That being said, these historical looks don't exactly lend themselves to the chummy banter between myself and fellow reporter slash co-pilot, Mayan Schechter. Where's Ms. Schechter been? But she'll be back for the 2012 episode. Stay tuned. But first up in this presidential primary history lesson is the 2008 victory of Arizona Senator John McCain. You and I are aware that for the last 28 years, the winner of the South Carolina primary has been the nominee of our party. But before we get to victory night, January 19th, 2008, we have to rewind a few years to give you some important context and a little bio on the Maverick himself. Please rewind, A.T. John McCain served in the U.S. Senate from 1987 until his death on August 25th, 2018, at the age of 81. He was born into a military family, the son of an admiral as well as the grandson of an admiral. He himself graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy in 1958 and flew for the Navy. McCain served in Vietnam and survived the fire aboard the USS Forrestal in 1967. And that same year, he was shot down while on a bombing mission over Hanoi. He was a prisoner of war for six years, refusing early release on the grounds of who his father was, and instead endured torture that left him with physical disabilities. He retired a Navy captain and was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 1982, before getting into the Senate and gaining his reputation as a maverick for his willingness to buck his party on certain issues, though still remaining a strong conservative. McCain was married to Carol Shep for 15 years, and after divorcing her in 1980, married Cindy Hensley. He has seven children, including his adopted daughter, Bridget. The McCain road to the Republican nomination victory wasn't just one campaign cycle in the making. 
Rather, the effort to win South Carolina and the Republican nomination started during the brutal 2000 presidential campaign when he fought it out with Texas Governor George W. Bush. You may recall parts of that campaign from our Dirty Tricks episode that discussed the push point done against McCain and the smear against his family and his adopted daughter from Bangladesh. Listen to a bit of this scene setter from the documentary John McCain, For Whom the Bell Tolls. This is Rick Davis, McCain's presidential campaign director, recounting the lead-up to the South Carolina primary in 2000. Everybody knows in the Bush campaign and the McCain campaign that whoever came out of South Carolina was likely to be the nominee of the party. I'm glad to be back down here. I want you to know loud and clear, we're going into battle. New Hampshire's campaign was basically void of a lot of negative campaigning. By the time we got to South Carolina, it was bare-knuckle politics. This is George Bush's ad promising America he'd run a positive campaign. We were running negative ads against George Bush. George Bush was running negative ads against John McCain. Governor Bush's tax plan isn't true, and McCain knows it. It was the fight of the century. The war of words between George W. Bush and John McCain is heating up even further. As they battle for votes in South Carolina, McCain is accusing the Bush campaign of making misleading phone calls to voters. Governor George W. Bush still denies that anyone in his campaign is making negative phone calls. But McCain's supporters are now pointing to a conversation videotaped on Saturday between Governor Bush and a supporter in South Carolina. They claim it shows the governor promising more negative attacks on McCain. Y'all haven't even hit his soft spot. It's kind of going to. They need to be. Somebody's exposed. Some more 2000 background. So McCain skipped the Iowa caucuses, which went for Bush, and he poured resources into New Hampshire, which fueled his 19-point victory over Bush. Huge. That meant South Carolina was once again the critical decider and the battleground for the negative campaigning, which would take years to heal following McCain's 11-point loss, or just over 67,000 votes, to Bush on February 19th. After losing nine of the 13 Super Tuesday states, the writing was on the wall, and McCain ended his 2000 campaign on March 9th. Communications consultant Dave Wilson gave this perspective. John McCain had run for president in 2000 against George W. Bush, and the groups encamped themselves in South Carolina, either for McCain or for Bush. You were one or the other. For John McCain, he was a somewhat known quantity. He had already run in 2000. He had made a name for himself as a United States senator. He had a good military background and a story to tell. And in South Carolina in 2008, that was enough to kind of carry him back over for eight years, for him to be able to walk back through the door. And those who may have been with Bush in 2000 were, well, I can get behind McCain now because he was seemed to be at the time and ended up being the, the strongest of the nominees. But he also had to do a lot to start working the field. Jump to 2006, and McCain and his team are slowly gearing up for a run. McCain was a bit hesitant. After all, he thought he was too old at 70, which is young by today's frontrunner standards. And his wife, Cindy, who was the ultimate decision maker, wanted guarantees that she and the children would be protected, citing the 2000 debacle in South Carolina. In the book Game Change, John Howellman and Mark Halpern write, quote, South Carolina was never far from Cindy's mind. The thought of it being repeated made her sick, quote. The campaign got underway in 2006. 
a few short months before McCain's formal February 25, 2007 announcement. McCain's team wanted a front-runner-style campaign, which meant big spending, consultants, offices across the country, a big headquarters in pricey Northern Virginia, the works, all based on the premise of replicating record fundraising seen by the Bush campaign. But by the start of 2007, however, the campaign was already $1 million in the red, with virtually no fundraising events on his schedule for the first two months of the year. In fact, in the first quarter, McCain raised $12.5 million, or $35.5 million below what they had planned. His fundraising haul was third behind former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney and former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. But the high hopes, as well as campaign infighting, would soon lead to an implosion that summer. Even from the get-go, morale wasn't super great following a rainy launch in New Hampshire. Take this passage from the book Game Change. Quote, McCain's campaign was formally off the ground, but it remained a hugely troubled enterprise. The candidate was depressed and fatigued, feeling helpless, picked to pieces by something he couldn't control. Long gone was a tough, spry McCain of the 2000 race, the cocky, joyous McCain of the Senate. This McCain was angry, angry every single day. Quote, not a great way to start a campaign. Now, Trey Walker, Governor Henry McMaster's chief of staff, knew McCain all the way back to 1996 when he was campaigning for Bob Dole. Walker was the South Carolina Republican Party executive director from 1993 through 1999 and became McCain's national field director in 1999 through 2000. Walker came back on board the Straight Talk Express, the name of McCain's 2000 campaign bus, which was resurrected again for his second run in November 2006 as the South Carolina director. And in May 2008, he became the regional campaign manager for the Mid-Atlantic. Here's Trey. McCain comes back from Afghanistan in July and goes over 4th of July, comes back, gets told the campaign's broke. We have to fire everybody. So there was four of us left in South Carolina. So we went from riding out on the tarmac with the police escort and the chartered jet to me driving out to Columbia Airport and picking up Senator McCain right there at the TSA checkpoint, grabbing his bags and him coming up going, Trey boy, how you doing? And off we go in my car. And that was kind of fun because we went back to the basics. And instead of, you know, having multiple hundreds of people, you know, we had 125 people at a VFW. And what sustained McCain through that lean period was a belief that if he was going to lose the campaign, he was going to do it on his terms. And that he was not convinced that there was some great phoenix rise on the horizon for him. Yes, second quarter fundraising wasn't much better than the first, with McCain raising $11 million, leaving the unwieldy campaign with just $2 million on hand in the summer of 2007. Two top staffers departed that summer, and the staff was shrunk from 300 to around 40. It looked like a death spiral, and even McCain's longtime friend, Senator Lindsey Graham, whom he had just returned from a 4th of July trip to Iraq with, and who was helping keep South Carolina supporters in line, said, quote, This guy's dead. Nails in his coffin, fifth in a four-person race. Quote, oh, geez, with friends like that, Lindsay. Now, the only path forward was through dogged hard work, getting scrappy and lean, hiring key operatives, and fulfilling a comeback narrative. Mac is back. McCain doubled down on his support of the Iraq War and his support for the troop surge. He launched his No Surrender Tour in Iowa in early September, with his prisoner of war friends and veterans, and visited American Legion halls and VFW posts in New Hampshire and South Carolina, 
doing this all as cheaply as possible. Here's Trey Walker again talking about that summer and how things changed with the No Surrender Tour. Turns out those little events at all the VFWs and American Legion posts around the state with 100 people here, 125 here, 95 here, started turning into 200, 250, and McCain started climbing back into it. He also started climbing back into it before South Carolina in New Hampshire. So if he hadn't have hadn't made that move in New Hampshire, McCain was able to stay on the lead lap. His car was beat up, but he was still on that lead lap. Echoing what Trace said there, here is another excerpt from Game Change. Quote, and as weird as it might sound, McCain preferred it this way. Living off the land, guerrilla style, hand to mouth. In a way, the collapse of his campaign had been the best thing for McCain, because when the campaign disintegrated, so did the crippling campaign dysfunction. Quote. And here's a bit of Senator Lindsey Graham on the campaign trail in Greenville in January 2008. We have many of the key Bush people in 08 because John stood by President Bush in 2000. No one helped President Bush more in 2000 than Senator McCain. In 2004, who was at President Bush's side at the last stop of the last day of the campaign? So people in South Carolina admire President Bush and they admire the fact that Senator McCain definitely helped him uh, become president twice. And that's going to pay to John's benefit. McCain, off that New Hampshire win in 2000, was under attack from the Bush camp over his conservative creds. Both men were routinely asked about their stance on removing the Confederate flag, which was being debated in the legislature at the time. And each would say that's up to South Carolinians to decide. But in early January, McCain stumbled, at first calling the flag, quote, a symbol of racism and slavery, quote. The next day, McCain, appearing nervous, backed off those statements. In reading from a prepared text, he called the flag, quote, a symbol of heritage, quote. Now, post-primary, McCain said, quote, As I admitted, I should have done this earlier when an honest answer could have affected me personally. I fear that if I answered honestly, I could not win the South Carolina primary. So I chose to compromise my principles. I broke my promise to always tell the truth, quote. But just clearing the air didn't mean that the past didn't still follow him. Take, for example, this town hall meeting in Spartanburg on January 16th, three days before the primary when he got this question about his previous stance to remove the Confederate battle flag off the South Carolina Statehouse Dome back in 2000. There was no room for flip-flopping, and McCain didn't flinch. Sir, on April 18th of 2000, you came, out against, well, you came out for the removal of the Confederate battle flag from our state capitol down in Columbia. Now, I'm one of the guys passing out these papers, and I'm not a liar. That is true. It's come from CNN.com. You came out in favor of removal of the Confederate battle flag when 76% of Republicans in this state went polls that they wanted it to stay on the Capitol Dome. What's your answer for that? My answer, sir, is that I cannot be more proud of the overwhelming majority of the people of this state who have joined together, taken that flag off the top of the Capitol. He owned his stance on the third rail of South Carolina politics, a contentious issue up until the flag's removal following the racially fueled massacre at Mother Emanuel Amy Church in 2015. That decision was one of many folks point to in sinking McCain's 2000 bid in the state, 
as well as the dirty tricks pushed by those associated with the Bush campaign. But let's not forget the support of Senator Lindsey Graham, who played a role in keeping McCain supporters together during the lean and dark times of the summer of 2007. Graham was a constant presence on the campaign trail with McCain throughout South Carolina and then in other states leading up to the November election. And McCain paid him back with his own support of Graham when he ran his long-shot 2016 campaign. Here's Graham talking about McCain at a campaign stop in Pauley's Island on January 11th, with eight days to go until primary day. There's no place that John McCain can't go where people already don't know, already know who he is. When he goes to Pakistan and speaks with President Musharraf, I have been there. I have seen those conversations. When he goes to Israel and reassures the Israeli government, we're not going to abandon you. I have been there. I have been with him when he goes to the Palestinian territories and listens to the hopes and dreams of the Palestinian people. I have been there many times in Afghanistan and Iraq where our troops come up to him and just want to have their picture taken because they admire him and they love him so much. And it wasn't just well-known South Carolinian Lindsey Graham throwing his support behind McCain. Take a listen from another South Carolinian who I don't have to introduce because he has one of the most unique voices in our state. John is a true blue conservative, but the way he's different from the rest is his understanding experience in foreign affairs in the world. John McCain knows the world. The world knows John McCain. They know where he, he stands, and he knows where they stand. He's been there in his military career as well as his political career in Washington. He's been involved in these decisions. He's always gone, it seems, against the tide when it was necessary in Washington. And he's made some changes in Washington, and that was being one in 535 members of Congress. When he gets to be one out of one president, then we can really get some things done in Washington, and I'm looking forward to it. And he will secure the borders. He will make this nation safe. National security will be a great priority, and we can all feel better about that. That was then State Attorney General Henry McMaster following the January debate, talking about McCain's stances that sound the same as you would hear today almost. Now, Governor McMaster, as well as Senator Graham, support former President Donald Trump's presidential bid. And we'll get more into that in our 2016 episode. Remember, McMaster was the first statewide elected official in the nation to endorse Trump for his bid in 2016, a move that continues to pay handsome dividends for McMaster. But let's stick to this 2008 race and set the scene for South Carolina. McCain came in third in the Iowa caucuses to former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee and Romney. McCain then won New Hampshire, beating Romney by five points. But his fortunes flipped to Romney in Michigan, a state where Romney was born and his father had been governor. There, McCain came in second to Romney by nine points. He said this to his supporters in South Carolina the night he lost Michigan. I congratulate Governor Romney on his victory tonight. He and his campaign worked hard and effectively to make sure that, Mexico, that Michigan voters welcomed their native son with their support. Michigan voters were good to the native son, and I understand that and support their decision. You won the round and earned your celebration tonight, and I salute Governor Romney and his team and offer my genuine good wishes to him. We have no cause to be discouraged or to second guess what we might have done differently. We did what we always do. We went to Michigan and we told people the truth. I'm as committed as ever now as I have to make sure that no state, whether it's Michigan or South Carolina or anywhere in this blessed country, is left behind in the global economy. 
But that global economy is here to stay and is by its nature constantly changing, as you all know. To compete more successfully in it, we must better prepare American workers and students to seize its opportunities. That's how we build a stronger and more prosperous America. That's what I told the people of Michigan, and I don't believe I could have honestly told them anything else, my friends. Now, now it's South Carolina's turn to decide. I've long admired, I've long admired the deep patriotism of the people of this state. So many, so many of your sons and daughters risk their lives today to keep the rest of us safe, as so many South Carolinians have done in past wars. I'm humbled by their example, but proud to claim that their cause is my cause. So you can kind of see where things are going back and forth in these other early primary states. Again, putting South Carolina in focus to be the decider, the one to give clarity in this race. And on January 19th, four days after Michigan, it did so. From the book Game Change, quote, In one crucial respect, however, the McCain of 2008 was a very different animal in South Carolina than the McCain of 2000. No longer the insurgent, no longer the rabble-rouser, he was the candidate of the establishment. His most loyal supporter, Lindsey Graham, was the state's senior senator and had done yeoman's work in corralling endorsements of local elected officials early on and holding them in place during the dark days of 2007. By primary night, no one had a clue as to what might happen, quote. Huckabee was banking on big evangelical voter support, drawing on his previous career as a Southern Baptist preacher, not to mention his powerful personal story of losing more than 100 pounds after being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Also late to the race was former Tennessee Senator Fred Thompson, who resigned from his role on the TV show Law & Order to run, a move that some say helped McCain by pulling votes from Huckabee. In fact, that's exactly what he did, according to Trey Walker, McCain's South Carolina director. When that opportunity came in 2008, he was able to slingshot past Romney and Huckabee in the end. And with a little help from Fred Thompson, who was probably the greatest political blocker, I mean, let's just cut to the chase. Fred Thompson stayed in the race to help McCain, and everybody knew it. And really, I don't think McCain would have won Florida if... Uh, if Fred Thompson hadn't stayed in the race. But it wasn't just Huckabee gunning for the religious vote. McCain, who turned off a lot of Christians in 2000, gave the commencement speech at Jerry Falwell's Liberty University in Virginia and was endorsed by pro-life folks in the state and nationally. Romney got the endorsement from Bob Jones III, president of the fundamentalist Bob Jones University in Greenville. So we've set the scene. You've heard everything that's gone into the race and what's on the line here. And what happened was a critical win for McCain. A narrow win for McCain, in fact. He defeated Huckabee 33-30, to with Fred Thompson in third with 16% and Romney in fourth. Here's Trey Walker again. Yeah, it was a three-point three landslide against Mike Huckabee in South Carolina. But how it played nationally was fantastic. It was the Phoenix had risen. I mean, that's what the Time magazine cover said. That momentum from South Carolina helped propel McCain to winning 11 states on Super Tuesday in February 2008, with Romney winning seven states and Huckabee six. This gave McCain a strong delegate lead and prompted Romney to soon drop out. But let's go back to victory night, the night of January 19th. After it was announced that John McCain had indeed won the South Carolina primary, he opened his remarks at his victory rally shortly after 10 p.m. in Charleston with the following quip. You know, it took us a while, but what's eight years among friends? Huh? 
My friends, in the course of this campaign, I've tried as best I could to tell people the truth, to tell them the truth about the challenges, about the challenges facing our country and how I intend to address them. As I've said before, and you've heard me, before I can win your vote, I must earn your respect. And the only way I know how to do that is by being honest with you. I've tried, I've tried to do that, do that throughout this campaign and put my trust in your willingness to give me your fair consideration. So far, it seems to be working pretty well. You and I are aware that for the last 28 years, the winner of the South Carolina primary has been the nominee of our party, My friends, as pleased as we are about the results, and we have a reason to celebrate tonight, I know that I must keep foremost in my mind that I'm not running for president to be somebody, but to do something. Yes, eight years among friends, or as the headline of an October 2007 New York Times story read, quote, confronting ghosts of 2000 in South Carolina. Part of it reads as follows, quote, when Senator John McCain and his wife campaign in South Carolina these days, people pull them aside to apologize for what happened during the presidential primary here in 2000. With its early date, southern location, and reputation for road-testing conservative credentials, the South Carolina primary is a proving ground for any Republican who longs to be president. But as Mr. McCain seeks the Republican nomination again, the state is also a painful symbol of the brutality of American politics the place that derailed his 2000 bid and ultimately helped reshape him into the candidate he is today, quote. That candidate went on to become the 2008 Republican presidential nominee, and those ghosts were exercised on January 19th, 2008, like Trey Walker said. Cindy McCain, she did not like coming to South Carolina after 2000. And so she was very relieved to put that behind, to have some closure on 2000 to have that redemption uh, and going forward. So it was, it was, that South Carolina win was, was, was good. It was good for a lot of reasons. Uh, put a lot of things in the places they needed to be. And by then, Bush and McCain had buried the hatchet. He'd campaigned for him in 2004. So everything was, was okay. What we didn't see coming was that lightning strike in Barack Obama, which was a phenomenon. It almost, I think it's almost comparable to Trump and, and that ability for him to magnetize a, a, a large group of people, whether it be in Berlin or whether it be in Paris or United States or in Manassas, Virginia, where I, I stood on a rainy night in late October and saw 60,000 people try to squeeze into that national battlefield park to catch a glimpse of the next president of the United States. Something else. And yes, lightning in a bottle was Illinois Senator Barack Obama, who captivated a nation desperate for hope and change following eight years of President George W. Bush, which included 9-11, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, and the Great Recession. Obama and Delaware Senator Joe Biden defeated McCain and Alaska Governor Sarah Palin with 365 electoral college votes to McCain's 173. Obama had 53% of the popular vote to McCain's 46%. 
Join Mayan and myself in future episodes as we look in detail at the 2012 and 2016 primary winning campaigns. And then we're going to give you everything you need to know about the 2024 candidates and how to vote in the February 24th primary. Subscribe to the South Carolina Lead wherever you find podcasts, and we'll have a new SC 2024 designated episode every other Tuesday. You can find out more about the primary, the latest news from the trail, and more at southcarolinapublicradio.org and scetv.org slash sc2024, your home for campaign 2024 coverage. As always, thanks for listening to the pod, and make sure to show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. We need a spittoon. What is that? Oh, that's Gavin's spittoon. <laughs> oh, what? Smell!